Thanks so much for listening to the City Church Podcast. We pray that this message draws you closer to the heart of Jesus and impacts your daily life. For more resources, check out ourcitychurch.org. Welcome to church. Are you happy to be at church this morning? Just like to take a second, welcome all of our locations. Can we put our hands together for our Midstate, our Bridgeport location? Love you guys. God bless you. If you're new to City Church, welcome. My name is Justin. I'm glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day, every location. We love all the moms. Just so excited to be able to celebrate our moms today and just say that we love them. So uh, make sure you do something special with your mom today. Got another announcement I want to let you know about. Uh, You know that if you've been around City Church any length of time, that God has given this church a real passion to start churches, right? And so uh, God has given us a real vision to see churches started in every major city across the Northeast and beyond in Jesus' name. And so I want to let you know that in October, we're going to be starting City Church Hartford. And so we're very excited about that. Yeah. And so um, our plan right now, is to, uh, is to start monthly gatherings there in June, all right? So June, July, August, September, we'll be having monthly gatherings and then going weekly in October. And so uh, it's gonna be an exciting summer, ramping up for that and then launching in the fall. So I want you to begin to pray, okay? Every location, if you're here and you say, you know what, I could give three months, I could give six months to a Hartford launch to be a part of that team to help get that thing off the ground. We would love to talk with you more. We'll be giving you some information next week about how you can get involved in the launch and some details. But I just want to let you know, it's coming, all right? It's coming. So you can turn to your neighbor, just tell them, it's coming. Just go ahead and, it's coming. It's going to be exciting, and, uh, and we're really, really looking forward to what God is going to do through that church plant. And so uh, last week, we started a teaching series called Just Tell Me What to Do. And we talked about the fact that God is a communicating God, right? He is a God who wants to communicate with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to make his will and his ways known to you. And so we talked about lingering in God's presence. We passed out those Bible studies for the daily study of God's word and seeking his face. Hopefully you've been doing that with us. If you haven't, it's online at ourcitychurch.org. Or I think at every location, there's a few extras left over from last week. But we've been walking through the book of Jonah kind of week by week or day by day over this last week. And uh, if you're not studying with us each day, I encourage you stretch yourself and jump in, start studying God's word with us every single day. But we also talked about just lingering in God's presence, expecting him, asking him and revering him. You remember that? And so we just really postured our hearts to hear from God over this last week. Well, uh, this day, today, this week, we're going to be talking about the ways that God speaks, okay? The ways that God speaks. So if you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll start this morning. And uh, I'm going to read it. sort of a longer passage of Scripture. It's a pretty intense passage, so there's no way I'm going to be able to cover every nuance of these, uh, of these verses. But, uh, but we're going to dive into sort of the big idea of the text. You ready? All right, everybody ready? Come on. All right, I knew you were a little rowdy today. Yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which was decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit Searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. If you want to jot some notes down, the title of today's sermon is Welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. Welcome to New York, to New York. Just, just that. Welcome to New York. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to God's spirit. God, we love you. 
I sense the nearness of your presence and an electricity of faith in the room today. And so I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak personally, profoundly, uniquely to each of us. And God, that we would never be the same. Never be the same in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you like navigating New York? How many of you like it? You like navigating New York. All right, how many of you uh, uh, avoid New York like the plague? You're just like, do not let me drive through that city. You know, my wife loves to go to Broadway shows, and so over the years, uh, we've been married just coming up on 12 years, January, uh, or January, June is our 12-year anniversary. You can send us gifts or money, whatever you want to do, but that's in June, and, uh, and so we're coming up on 12 years, but, uh, you know, through the years, she has frequently asked me to bring her to uh, to a Broadway show, and so we have a number of times. And uh, you know, navigating New York is always an adventure, right? There are—I wrote it down. There are thirteen thousand taxis in this in the city of New York City, and so all types of different uh, communication means all over the city. You've got. Herds of people, right, just walking through the streets. There's these massive herds of people, right? And so I don't know if you enjoy navigating New York. I personally get a little thrill out of driving through the city. And so, you know, it's a crazy experience if you go into the city and you're driving, you're not used to it. There's people honking behind you and beeping and walking in front of you. And there's cars just cutting you off in every direction. To me, it feels sort of like a video game. You know, it's like, oh, this is a blast, except with a real car, you know, and, and, uh, and kind of driving all through the city of New York. Well, for many of us, hearing the voice of God is a lot like driving through New York. In other words, there are so many different things drawing your attention. You've got a billboard over here. You've got a guy behind you beeping. You've got pedestrians walking across. And you're trying to navigate New York. You're trying to navigate the inner workings of transmission between you and God. And it's complicated. There are so many different things trying to grab your attention, trying to draw you away. And you know, there's a fear, and I talk to many Christians about this, there's a fear that once you get on the highway with God, there are so many different options available that you're afraid you're going to take a wrong turn. And if you've ever taken a wrong turn in New York, you know it can cost you hours, right? I mean, it can cost you hours. Like, you can get off an exit, and then you just never get home. You know, I mean, it just, it's like, how did that even exist? Like, the, why did the highway just divide into seven different directions, you know? And, and I thought I was going over the George Washington Bridge, but this isn't George Washington. What bridge is this? This is Abraham Lincoln, or this is some other Thomas Jefferson. I don't know who it is, but it's not... The GW. And, and you know, there's so many different options, so many different ways you can turn. And for many of us, hearing God, there's a fear. What if I mess it up? Right? I've got all these different choices. I've got this job. I've got this relationship. I've got this opportunity. I've got this change. What if I mess it up? What if I don't make the right turn? And it gets scary. Now, the God we see in Scripture is a radically creative God, all right? 9,000 species of grass, all right? There's a random statistic for you. 9,000, I mean, why? Could we not have done with 10, right? And yet God chooses to make thousands of different grass species. I have like 8,000 of them in my backyard right now. I mean, it's wild. But, uh, but, you know, all these different varieties that God seems to love. He seems to love variety. And so the way that he speaks to people comes in a variety of means, right? There's all different ways that God can speak to his people. Now, I've become convinced, and our church is built on this truth, we've become convinced that everything we need to understand the nature of God and everything we need to understand the salvation purchased for us by God can be understood and discovered in the scriptures. And so here we put, excuse me, a very high priority on God's scriptures. We're not going to come in here every week and tell you our opinions or our thoughts or how we feel. We're going to submit ourselves to this scripture because we've looked at it historically. We've looked at it uh, functionally, how it works in our life. We've looked at it, how it weaves together over history. And we've become convinced, the leaders of this community become convinced that this truly is God-breathed. And that's a radical conviction, but it's a conviction we hold very dearly, that this truth is God-breathed. And what I would challenge you to do is, if you're a follower of Christ and you wrestle with that, begin reading the scripture daily, asking God's spirit to open your eyes to it. And I believe that you'll too become convinced that God has breathed. It's not just a random historical document, a collection of different people's thoughts. It is truly woven together by God. And so if we want to understand who God is and how he speaks and what his plan of salvation is for us and what his nature is, we begin by studying his word. Amen? 
Everybody doing okay? Studying his word. And so I want to urge you to study God's word more deeply. But God also speaks in other ways. God speaks historically and biblically through phenomena, through supernatural occurrences, okay? Through miracles, through dreams, through visions. In the scriptures we see Moses shows up and God speaks through a bush that is on fire. I mean, he walks up and there is a bush that is burning that will not go out. And, uh, and he goes up to the bush and he's shocked by this and then he hears the voice of God through the bush. I mean, that's weird, right? I mean, come on, is that not weird? I mean, if you were going home and you were walking into your house and your front lawn was on fire, I mean, you'd be like, how many species of grass are dying right now? You know what I mean? Like, you'd be, ama- you'd be shocked. I mean, it would, it would catch your attention. That's a phenomenon. That's amazing. God speaks through an angel to Mary. God speaks through a vision to John, a dream to Daniel. All these different means in which God communicates with his people, and they still happen today. In fact, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of testimonies of individuals who have seen an angelic visitation, who have heard from God, who have experienced some type of supernatural occurrence. I remember as a really little kid, before I ever knew Jesus or anything about God, I remember I was at my uncle's house sleeping over one night, and I opened my eyes in the middle of the night, and I saw two beings that looked like angelic beings. I'm not kidding. I was about nine years old and they walked through the room and they were gone. And I was shocked and I was amazed and I thought I must have just dreamed that. The next morning I went to tell my brother, but before I could get it out of my mouth, he described the beings to me that he saw. These things happen. And do you understand it all the time? No, you don't understand it all the time, but it happens. So God speaks through the scriptures and God speaks through supernatural occurrences, but he also speaks through other people. Right? He speaks through other people. In other words, God can use the mouth of your brother to communicate to you. God can speak a word to you through another person. And so I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but maybe someone comes up to you and says, hey, I've been praying for you, and I have a word from God for you. Now, that's something that God can do, all right? It's not in line with the Scriptures in the sense of it's not on the same height as the Scriptures, but it is a way in which God can communicate to the here and now to his people. So God speaks through people, God speaks through phenomena, God speaks through his written word. And so I've, I've had many, many times in my life where God has spoken to me through an individual, where they've come to me and said, Justin, I've been praying for you, and here's a word that I feel from God for you. And they've communicated that word to me, and it's been transformative. It's really changed my entire direction of my life. And, and God has used other people, I don't know if this ever, ever happened to you, but he's used other people to speak to me. I remember years ago, as a follower of Christ, new believer, I was really wrestling with some sin issues. And I went to a friend and I said, would you pray for me? I'm really battling with this sin issue. And they said, absolutely, let's be accountable to one another. Every time you're struggling, you call me and let me know. And I say, okay, that's great. And so there were many times where I was struggling and I wouldn't call. And you know what happened? More often than not, he would call me. I mean, spooky. He would call me and say, hey, I'm praying for you right now. Are you really battling with sin right now? I'm like, dang, man, how'd you know? You know, like, I mean, like, it was like he had the bat phone, like direct access. Like, man, like, you knew, but God was speaking to me through him. God speaks through other people. God also speaks through circumstance, all right, through circumstance, through what would seem to be coincidence. I remember in college, I, uh, was witnessing to a guy who was a football player at my college. And I was sharing Christ with him. I was talking to him about Jesus and, and, and really trying to draw him to Christ because he had grown up in a Christian home. He knew all about Jesus, but he wasn't living a life in love with God. And so I kept inviting him to church. And one day we're talking in the parking garage of my school. And, uh, and he's like, man, I don't know if I want to go to church. I don't know if I want to go to church. And then all of a sudden I walked over to my car and his eyes just got huge. I mean, his eyes just bugged out of his head like, when he saw my car, I thought, man, ain't that nice, 1986 Honda Accord. I mean, it wasn't like a dreamy car, you know, but, uh, but something about it drew his attention. I found out later that he had a habit of getting high, and while he was high, he would have this superstitious belief that God would speak to him if he drove around and looked at license plates, all right? People get weird, right? And so in that moment, as I'm inviting him to church, he looked down at my car, and my license plate was his initials and his football number. He came to church. He gave his life to Jesus. He's still following Jesus today. Circumstances. God speaks through circumstances. Now, we might assume that all of these various circumstances should bring real clarity to the voice of God, right? I can hear God through another person. I can hear God through, you know, a, uh, a, a circumstance. I can hear God through the scriptures. I can hear God through a phenomena. And so all these different things are happening. And our assumption would be, well, since God has so many different means of communicating, certainly he should be crystal clear in our lives. And I'm sure that's all of our experience, right? Maybe not. 
See, it seems that just like in New York, so many means of transportation, so many ways to communicate back and forth between that part of the city and this part of the city, it doesn't always solve the problem. Sometimes it complicates the problem. And for many of us, we've got all these different things going on at the same time, and it's causing confusion in our ability to understand God. So a job offer has come through, or an opportunity to move into a different part of the world has come through, or a relationship has gotten to that point where it's time to get serious, or it's time to bail, right? And so these decisions must be made. And you've got a decision to make and you're not sure what to do. So you start praying and all before you know it, these circumstances seem to align and you think, boy, all the circumstances are aligning. Maybe that's God. But then somebody calls you on the phone and God, and they say, I have a word from God. And it's the exact opposite of what the circumstances seem to be saying. And you say, oh my goodness, wait, which one's God? I'm not sure. And then you eat some Chinese food that's been left in your fridge for two weeks and you have a dream that night. And in the middle of the night, you have this dream. And in the dream, everything you're doing is burning down and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure. Am I supposed to go this way? Or am I not supposed to go this way? Was the Chinese food dream from God or was the Chinese food dream from the Chinese food. I'm not sure. And so now you've had a dream and you've had a vision and you've had a communication from God. And then you decide to open the Bible and you say, God, speak to me. And it says the Amalekites slaughtered the Israelites. And you go, what does that mean? Am I supposed to slaughter the slaughter? The what am I? What does that mean? God? And you get incredibly confused And so you start going with crazy, superstitious baloney. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be real. You do the random verse method. You know, the random verse method is like, da-ba-da-da-ba-da-da-ba-da-da, you know. And then you open it up and you go, okay, God, I guess that's your word for me. And you laugh, but you're laughing because you've done it. Right? Yeah. Or you do do the open door method. This one's tough. The open door method is, if the door opens, it is God. Right? Right? It's like, what if two doors open? What do you do then? And sometimes God wants you to knock on a closed door, right? Like, so just because the door opens doesn't mean it's God, right? I mean, that's a terrible one, especially with relationships. Like, you know, she wants to marry me, therefore let's get married. Like, I don't know if that's the best plan, right? Or some people uh, go with what we call the fleece method. Maybe you're familiar with the fleece method. The fleece method originates from the story of Gideon, where Gideon had a fleece, a a piece of of clothing, really, and and it would get wet, and then God would keep the ground dry beneath it. And so Gideon was afraid, and he was a coward, and so he really tested God. It's not a very good method, by the way. He would say, okay, God, this time keep the ground dry and the fleece wet. Next time, keep the the fleece dry and the ground wet. I want you to do some tricks for me, God, so that you can be, I can be sure. And in his mercy and in his grace, God did that, and in this one instance we see that happening nowhere else in scripture do we see that in fact we're taught do not test the Lord your God and yet there's many people that I talk to all the time that say well all right well if God does this and if my hair turns blue and if uh if I wake up and it's sunny outside then I know it's from God and if I do this for five days and then that happens so God if you do these three things I'll believe that it's you that's the fleece method you're gonna get fleeced if you use the fleece method before you know it You've got all kinds of words from God. You've got all kinds of different directions you can go. You've got all kinds of options and deep in your soul, you don't know what God's will is. You don't know what his heart is. You're not sure what to do because you have no idea which one is his voice. Scientists tell us that every human voice is unique. It's really an amazing thought that there are billions and billions of people and, and, and yet every single human voice is absolutely unique. No two voices are the same. It goes back to that whole idea of a creative God. And animals can actually learn the tone, the accent, the phrasing of your, of your lips. The, the, an animal can learn your unique voice. In fact, if there's a crowd of people and you have a good dog, not a stupid dog, but a good dog, a crowd of people, everybody's talking, you can say, hey, here, boy. And they'll come. They'll come because they know your tone. They know your sound. In fact, this is true of many animals, horses, elephants, sheep, ox. They can all hear the voice of their master and discern it amongst the many voices. It's interesting to me that the most intelligent creature on earth is playing guessing games when it comes to the voice of our master. We're saying, God, just tell me what to do. God, I just want to do this. I just want to do that. Show me. Make it clear. And we're guessing. 
In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where we, we just read a minute ago, we find a very young church. The Corinthian church is new, the Corinthian church is raw, and the Corinthian church is surrounded by various ideologies, okay? And so there are various different ways of thinking and doing life all around the city of Corinth. The Jews in the city of Corinth are demanding that the Christians give them a sign, okay? They want a sign. By the way, a sign will never prove a doubting heart, okay? No matter how many signs may come, you'll still doubt. All through scripture, we see people saw incredible signs and five minutes later, they're like, nah, I'm not sure. I mean, that's just the way it is. In fact, in my own life, I've seen amazing miracles and just two or three weeks later, I'm questioning and doubting whether they ever happened because the intellectual mind can deceive you from even a sign. And so a sign will never be enough. But the Jews say we want a sign. And the Gentiles, they say, well, we want logic. We want you to prove it logically. And we could sit here all day and prove Christianity logically. And yet still some will not believe. Because logic will never satisfy the deep longing of the human heart. And Paul realizes that logic has its place, right? And he realizes that signs and wonders certainly have their place as well. But he says you've actually got to go deeper if you want stability and consistency in your communication with God. He says that's not enough enough. The Jews want the signs. The Gentiles want the, uh, the logic, but God's got something different. He says there's a secret hidden wisdom. There's a secret hidden wisdom. And then he says this in verse nine, he says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. In other words, what he's saying is God's got a huge plan for you. It's a good plan. It's a plan where he prospers you and he blesses you. Your ears can't hear it. Your eyes can't see it. Your heart can't even imagine it. And you say, well, that's not very helpful because then I don't know it. Right? But then you got to read the next verse because the next verse, he says this, these things God has revealed, has revealed. Is that, is that future tense? I'm a little tricky on grammar. I'm not sure. Future. No, wait, that's past tense, right? Past tense. God has revealed it. He has revealed it to us through the spirit. Well, who's us? Paul, right? Not me, Paul. No, us is us. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you're us. You're us. That's it. So he says, God has revealed it to us. In other words, God has revealed it to his people. God has revealed it to us. How? Through the spirit. The spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, the, uh, <clears throat> the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, over 300 times in the New Testament, the Spirit is referenced, okay? The Spirit, it's the inner you, all right? You have a body, okay? You live in a body. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, but you are a Spirit. You are a Spirit. It is the absolute essence of what it means to be made in God's image, okay? The scripture says that God made him and and her in his image, right? And so humanity made in God's image, it says that God is spirit. And so just as God is spirit, so are you. So I am a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body. Now, if you know the scriptures, you know that in Genesis, God creates a man and a woman. He puts them in a garden. He tells them to prosper. He also gives them choice. He gives them the opportunity to rebel against him, which they do, right? But before they do, God warns them. And he says, do not eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but the day that you eat of it, right? The day that you eat of it, you will surely die, okay? Now, if you know the story, what happens? Adam and Eve eat the fruit, right? They receive the fruit. God confronts them about it. They confess that they're wrong and they drop dead. Wait a minute. Do they? No, they don't. Do they? They don't drop dead. So it's like uh, they live. In fact, they live another week, another year. They live decades upon decades upon decades. And so in that moment, we have to question and say, "Um, God, did you make a mistake? Right? Was that like a fake warning? Like what parents do? You know what I mean? Like, excuse me, if you don't listen, I'm going to take all of your toys away forever. You know, like those type of things. Come on, parents, you know, you say stupid things like that. And as soon as they come out of your mouth, you're like, I'm not going to do that. Right. Right. Maybe there was one of those moments for God. Right. He was like, I'm going to kill you if you if you do that. Right. Maybe. No, no. God doesn't make mistakes like that. 
He doesn't make mistakes like that. See, physically they continued to live in a body and their soul continued to exist, but their spirit was severed in that moment from communication with God so that they no longer heard the voice of their master and that severing caused spiritual death. And so they have a soul, they live in a body, but all of humanity from Adam to today has been born in a place of spiritual death. You are dead spiritually. Spiritually. Now, Jesus walks on the scene, very aware of this reality, and he starts preaching about a new birth. And he says, you must be born of the, of the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit. And so he becomes our substitute. He sacrifices his life on the cross. He goes into the grave. He rises again. He then sits down at the right hand of the Father. He then releases the Spirit upon the earth. And we're told in the Scriptures that when the Spirit of God comes upon the heart of an individual, when they turn, they put their faith in Christ, they repent of sin and say yes to Jesus, there is a miraculous, amazing, wonderful occurrence. Paul puts it like this. Take a look. It says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes, this is one of the most mind-blowing verses in all the Bible. He who is joined to the Lord, don't miss this today, becomes one spirit. The Bible describes it as a marriage, as the two become one flesh in a much more deep and profound way. My spirit and God's spirit are joined in an eternal, unbreakable bond the moment that I say yes to Christ. In fact, I can't even turn to Christ without the illumination of the spirit. And when God's spirit illuminates my understanding and I say, God, I give you my life, I open up my heart, I receive your forgiveness. The moment I do that, his spirit and my spirit become welded in a supernatural unbreakable bond so that the living spirit of Christ, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, is embedded within me and he then makes my dead spirit come alive. This is why Paul could say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, you might say that, but hold on. Wait, I'm still living in my body. I still got my crazy thoughts, right? Like, why are you telling me the, well, because you still have a soul that needs to be redeemed and you still live in a body that will still die because it was born in Adam. And so you still have a body, you still have a soul, but now your spirit has been come, has come alive so that the connection between you and God has been rekindled. And so we see that the spirit allows for new life. And the implications of this radical. Take a look at verse 12. He says, now we have received. Again, past tense for all those who believe. So important. Listen, we've been so messed up here, so wired wrong. God's going to bring such clarity today in Jesus' name. Now we have received. We have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us. I love that verse. By God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We are taught by the Spirit. Let me try to illustrate for you. January 8th, 1902, New York City was booming. Things were growing rapidly. Everything was expanding and growing and transportation was chaotic. There was a million different people going a million different ways and it was just a wild time to be in New York. This is early 1900s, you know, so everything's chaotic, all the different changes happening in the world. And in the midst of this, right in the middle, January 8th, 1902, two trains collide just outside New York. Two trains collide for no other reason except that they had mis- you know, dis- been so disorganized that their lines had been crossed and they collided. So These two trains collide, 15 people were killed. And all across New York City, there is outcry about the inconsistency and instability of transportation within the city. And so people start picketing, riding. There's all types of different things going on. And the Vanderbilt family, which is a very influential family at the time, decides that they are going to step in and do something radical, something that had never been done. They will construct a brand new, state-of-the-art, massive train station, a station that is greater and larger than any other station that any person has ever developed. It would allow for high volumes of traffic, right? It would allow for the most reliable travel in the world. And they decided to give it a big name, right? A grand name. They called it the 
the Grand Central Station, right? The Grand Central Station today, it's got 44 platforms, over 100 tracks. It's the world's largest train station. But the crazy thing about Grand Central Terminal is that when you walk up to it in New York City, you'll notice that you don't see any trains. You don't see any tracks. You don't see anything that would give you evidence that is in fact a train station because all the trains and all the platforms are You can't see them. They're invisible. It's happening under the surface. So you can take a taxi. You can take a bike. You can walk if you want in New York. But if you've been around New York for any length of time, you know the most reliable transportation. You know the most accurate transportation is to get on in the Grand Central Terminal and go where you need to go underground. What I'm trying to get to you today is that 2,000 years ago, there was a collision. There was a collision that occurred 2,000 years ago between the God of the universe and the sin of humanity. It was bigger than the collision in New York City in 1902. It was a massive collision of two massive powers. And out of that collision, the family known as God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, constructed a grand central terminal right in the heart of the human being, a terminal by which individuals could freely transfer back and forth, back and forth to understand the thoughts of God, to know the heart of God, to discern the will of God, not through some outward ambient uncertain truth, but through an inner absolute discernment, a knowledge, a knowing, a terminal on the inside that brings clarity to the direction of your life. Your spirit is the primary terminal for communication with God. Your spirit is the primary terminal. Now, God can speak in various ways, but it's the spirit within you that is God's primary means of communication, primary transportation between here and heaven. It is the spirit that enables you to communicate on an ongoing basis with your creator. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. The apostle Paul quotes Isaiah. And if you're familiar with this passage in Isaiah, it's an amazing passage where Isaiah is talking about how amazing God is, how transcendent God is, how he is the God who can hold all the water of the earth in the hollow of his hand, how he is far beyond our comprehension. And so Paul quotes that passage knowing that they would know where the passage was from. And so he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, right? Who could ever comprehend the mind of the Lord? But then Paul sneaks a little phrase in there that changes everything. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is so important because people have misunderstood this for a long time. They say, but we can learn the mind of Christ or we can mature into the mind of Christ. And so they interpret that verse like, keep, keep you know, studying the Bible and you'll think more like Jesus, which is absolutely true, but that's not at all what he said, right? He didn't say, hey, over time, over, you know, over maturity, you can develop. No, no, he said, it's already yours. He said, the terminal's been built. It's all underground. It's inside of you by the spirit. You already have access to the mind of God. But we have the mind of Christ and every other means by which God communicates with his people becomes clear through and by the spirit. So in other words, you can read the Bible all day and it feels like just a historical text. But when the spirit begins to illuminate the text, everything starts to change. I remember when I used to read the Bible just on my own and I would say, God, give me understanding. And I'd be like, this is the most confusing thing in the entire world. But then I started getting a little bit smarter and saying, Holy Spirit, would you give me discernment? Would you help me? Would you open my eyes? And before I knew it, this thing became a river of liquid love flowing right into my soul. Because the Spirit makes the Scriptures make sense. The Spirit enables you to discern between circumstances that are just random occurrences and that are the hand of God. The Spirit gives you discernment to understand phenomena when it occurs. So you know if that dream was in fact the Chinese food or it was a voice from the Lord trying to speak to you. The Spirit gives you discernment when others give you a word. See, people get out of whack when someone says, I have a word from you. And they treat that word at a higher degree than the inner leading of the Spirit. Because the Spirit will give you discernment to discern, is that a word in fact from the Lord? Or is it just a word from this person's opinion? Proverbs chapter 20 says it like this. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord and sheds light on one's inmost being. In other words, God's got a lamp on the inside of you and he illuminates you by the human spirit that has been married to his eternal spirit through salvation. This is how we learn 
the inner voice. G. Campbell Morgan, a great uh, theologian, said this, The doctrine of the inner light is not sufficiently taught to the individual believer who is by the very fact of relationship to Christ indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. There is granted the direct impression of the Spirit of God on the spirit of man, imparting the knowledge of his will in matters of the smallest and greatest importance. This has to be sought and waited for. There's an inner voice. And just like a dog's got to learn the tone of his master, so you and I must discern the still small voice, that's what Elijah called it, of the Spirit of God within. The inner voice of God's Holy Spirit, the inner direction. And here's what I know. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you've already heard the voice. Because there's no way for you to say yes to Christ without hearing that inner voice. And you say, that just sounded like my thoughts. Sometimes it does. I didn't make, mean to make you sound like an idiot there. Like, that does sound like... Yeah, but... But uh, yeah, sometimes it just sounds like your thoughts. In fact, it is a very silent, very still, very quiet inner voice. Now, God can speak loudly, and he certainly does it many times, but the majority of our communication with him is in the stillness and the quiet of our spirit, which means we've got to dial down all the chaos, which means we've got to learn the inner tug. In my experience, sometimes it just feels like a nudge, like a little... But it has a particular feel to it. Kind of like the conscience just pushing you along. Sometimes it feels like an impression. Sometimes it feels like a thought that pops into your head. Sometimes it feels like a peace that rests on you when you're making a decision. Sometimes it feels like a little check in your heart, like a little ah, eh, ah, in your spirit, deep on the inside. It's different than your emotions. It's different than your intellect. It is the spirit within you, guiding you, directing you, and giving you discernment. Growing up, my mom made the best pasta sauce. It's Mother's Day. The best pasta sauce in the history of the human race. I mean, I'm not kidding. My mom comes from a long line of Italians, and she got the recipe from scratch from her mom, who got the recipe from her mom, who got the recipe from her mom, who got the recipe from God. All right? And so, I mean, it is really, really good, really good pasta sauce. And she makes it from scratch. And, and since I was a little kid, we've been eating her sauce. And here's what I know. I know what her sauce tastes like. And you could ask me, well, does it taste kind of like ragu? And I would say, no, it doesn't taste like ragu. Well, does it taste kind of like this person's sauce? No, it doesn't really. Well, what does it taste like? It tastes like mom's sauce, right? I know the taste. And you can put it on ziti, still tastes like mom's sauce. You can put it on spaghetti, mom's sauce. Chicken, mom's sauce. You can put it on anything. It's always going to, you can freeze it for 100 years, take it out, it's going to taste like mom's sauce. Because it's mom's sauce, and I know the flavor. How did I learn it? By experience. How did I learn it? By practice. That's how I learned it. And I can't put language around exactly what it tastes like, but I know what it tastes like. I've got an inner knower that as soon as you put mom's sauce in front of me with a hundred other sauce, I can pick mom's sauce out because I know my mom's sauce. In the same way, God's voice on the inside is very difficult to put language around. Like, it's going to sound like this. It's going to sound like, hello. Like, it's not, no, it's not going to sound like any of those things. It's going to sound like a little nudge, like a little tug, like a little pull, like a little green light, like a little check, like a little draw. It's going to sound like an inner direction. And you've got to get good, follower of Jesus, at discerning what the sauce tastes like, of discerning, because then you can begin to taste it on circumstance. And then you can begin to taste it on a verse in the Bible. And then you can begin to taste it in the words of someone else. And you begin to say, dang, that's got sauce on it. That's from the Lord. You begin to discern that the voice of the Lord is speaking to you through that because you know what it tastes like. John Wesley, when he was asked, uh, he's a great preacher of another generation, when he was asked, how do you discern? How do you discern the voice of the Holy Spirit? He said this, he said, how I pray do you distinguish day from night? How do you distinguish light from darkness or the light of a star from the light of the noonday sun? Is there not an inherent, obvious, essential difference between the one and the other? And do you not immediately and directly perceive that difference provided your senses are rightly disposed? In like manner, there is an inherent, essential difference between the spiritual light and spiritual darkness, between the light where the sun of righteousness shines upon your heart and that glimmering light which arises only from sparks of your own kindling. And this difference also is immediately, directly perceived if our spiritual senses are rightly disposed to require a more minute and philosophical account of the manner whereby we distinguish these and of the criteria or intrinsic marks whereby we know the voice of God is to make a demand which can never be answered. No, not by one who has the deepest knowledge of God. In other words, he's saying, you know it because you know it. And you learn it by practicing, by getting alone, by quieting your heart, 
You know, I can't tell you how many times, and God's been merciful to me so many times, that I would close the door in my room and get alone and say, God, I'm going to stay here till you talk to me. I'm going to stay here till I get a nudge from you. I'm going to stay here until, I don't care if it's two hours or six hours. I don't care if it's all night. I'm going to either stay here or fall asleep staying here. I'm going to be here, and I've fallen asleep many times. I'm going to be here, Lord, until I get a discernment from you. And I go through a process next week. We're going to talk about the, the things that hold us back from being able to discern that voice, the, the roadblocks in our, in our journey. But, uh, but I would get along with God, and I do it all the time today. And I say, Father, I'm trusting. I come expecting. I come asking. I come revering. Remember last week? And I get, to get, I get along with you, Lord, and I discern the inner direction of your Holy Spirit. I discern the inner voice of God. I discern what you're saying to me. So I want to give you today, and I want you to jot these down, four filters, four filters. If you're here today and you say, Justin, I want to know God's voice. I want to know if he wants me to take this job or not. I want to know if he wants me to move ahead with this relationship. If he wants me to do this, if he wants me to do that. I want to know God's direction, God's will, God's plan. I want to discern it, and I need help. Let me give you four filters. You get alone with God, you seek God, and then after you sense a direction on the inside from the Lord, and you say, was that God or was that just me? I'm not sure. You then use these four filters to bring discernment to hearing God's voice. Are you ready? Four. Write them down. Number one, the doctrine test. The doctrine test is this. Does this align with sound doctrine, right? Does this align with sound doctrine? I mean, if it's like, I think I'm supposed to take a bat and hit that guy in the head. Probably not God, okay? I think I'm supposed to lie on my taxes because the government's not just. Probably not God, all right? Does it align with sound doctrine? That's the first way you filter the voice of God, and that's why it's so crucial for you to know God's word, because if you're going to follow God's whisper, you have to discern his nature, right? And so we've got to know God's word, and that's why we study it every day, and then we use the doctrine test, right? And so very, very frequently, I'll send something from God, but then immediately I'm filtering. I'm filtering. I don't know. I don't think that's the Lord. I don't think that's an impression from him. doesn't pass the doctrine test, right? Test number two, filter number two, the disciple test. Does this make me look more like Jesus? Does this make me look more like Jesus? You become very acquainted with the nature and the character of Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, okay? And so you might get confused through some Old Testament text when the Amalekites and the Hebuzites and all the Jebusites did all these other things. But what you've got to do is go back to the, to the nature of Jesus, go back to the life of Jesus, go back to the thinking of Jesus, and then discern, does this action make me look more like Jesus? And if it doesn't, then that's the second stop in my filter, Right? So that's the second filter there, the disciple test. The third is the DNA test. The DNA test is this. Does this complement my unique gift mix? Does this complement my unique gift mix? In other words, God has wired you a certain way. Now, notice I didn't say, does this complement what I want my gift mix to be? All right, so all of us that think we're going to win American Idol, right? But you can't hold the pitch. Uh, it's, it's not going to complement your unique gift mix. You got to give that dream up, right? And so, you know, there's different things that each of us are hardwired to be good at. And as we learn ourselves more clearly, we can discern, does this complement my unique gift mix, right? Justin's not going to go and be a ballerina. I can't even walk in a straight line. I can't ice skate. I can't do any of these things. I'm not going to be a figure skater. I'm not going to be a ballerina. I'm not going to do any of those things. Thank you, Jesus. Because those are not in my gift mix, all right? They're just not. You can be a ballerina for God's glory, all right? Not me. The DNA test. Does this complement my unique gift mix? Okay, so we see three so far. The doctrine test, the disciple test, the DNA test, and the discernment test. The discernment test is simply this. What do spiritual leaders in my life say? I've talked to so many people, and they're like, listen, we think we should get married. And somebody's like, no, I don't think it's wise. I don't think you're even a Christian. And the next guy says, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You don't have any money. You don't have any plan. And you're disobeying and dishonoring God's word. And the next person says, you know, I think it's unwise because, uh, you know, and after five or six people are like, well, they don't know God. And it's like, well, those are all the leaders of the church, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it got quiet in here. Awkward. All right. That's the discernment test. It doesn't mean that some spiritual leader dictates to you everything they think. No, 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 no. It means that you learn to hear from those that are spiritual leaders in your life, in your church, in your world, and ask for their discernment. And if they're a good leader, they're not going to dictate to you what to do. They're going to share wisdom with you about what they've learned. And you've got to ask those people into your, into your life and into your decisions, not to just do what they say, but to use it as a filter to discern the voice of God. Everybody doing okay? So we've got the doctrine test, the disciple test, the DNA test, and the discernment test. And as we walk through these different filters, the voice of God becomes clearer and clearer. And as you mature and grow in Christ, you become more accustomed to what that voice sounds like. What I'm describing this morning 
can launch your life in Christ from a mundane routine into an outrageous, audacious, wild, unpredictable adventure. It can launch you into a journey with God like you've never known before. It can launch you into a journey with God that you would never expect, but that God has always had planned. And as his plan unravels, you think I never would have done it this way, but it's exactly the way he planned it to be. He works the bad things for your good. He takes the gifts you have and he lifts them up to a whole nother level. He gives you greater vision, greater passion, greater effectiveness for his kingdom. You are invited today into an adventure of hearing God's inner voice through the grand central terminal of his spirit within. And thank God for the visions and thank God for the dreams and thank God for the scriptures and thank God for all of these means in which God communicates. But it's the spirit on the inside that gives you the discernment to know what to do, when to do it. Now remember, God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want you to ask him if you can chew the gum, right? Or if you can wear the sneakers. That's not what he wants. He wants sons and daughters who know his heart. Therefore, they can operate autonomously, always listening to the voice of his spirit. That's what he wants. One story we're going to wrap up this morning. 2010, you may have heard this before. I've shared it before. I was in a season of life where I was saying, God, just tell me what to do. I had an unction, an inner direction that I felt like God wanted me to start a church. But there was only 10 people who were going to come to my church. And I thought, this is a terrible idea. I'm going to die with 50 people in a church 50 years from now, all by myself in New England. I don't want to do that. I'm serious. I was terrified terrified. And so we went on vacation to uh, the mountains of of North Carolina. But while we were up there, I wasn't really vacationing. I was fasting and praying because I was so nervous, so scared about making a decision. This is summer of 2010, making a decision about God's will. And I remember every single day, literally, I would get down on my face while my other, the rest of my family was out. We were with a broader section of our family. They're all out having fun. I would be alone fasting saying, God, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. And I was praying and praying. At that same time, I was going through a Bible reading plan to read the whole Bible, you know? And so I was trying to stay faithful to that plan. And at the time, I was in Deuteronomy. I don't know if you ever read Deuteronomy, but it wasn't the most vivacious scriptural experience at that time. All right, now it's a good book in the Bible. I'm not trying to dog anything. God has his plans for everything. But I was in Deuteronomy feeling like I was dying, feeling like, God, I'm not getting anything out of Deuteronomy right now. But I was just faithfully reading day after day, And one day I did my morning Deuteronomy scriptures and then I prayed and I was seeking God, asking him for his direction, for his will, begging him to tell me just just what to do. And my family that afternoon decided to take a little time to uh, go on a little hike. And we went up to a place called Grandfather Mountain. It's this high peak in the middle of the mountains of, of North Carolina. And so we got up there and, and as soon as we got out of the cars, we drove up to the top. As soon as we got out of the cars, you could hike all around at the top. And as soon as we got out, the wind was just howling. I mean, it was so loud. I couldn't even hear someone speak to me. It was that loud. And I remember my oldest son at the time was just three and he was with me and, and he was walking beside me and we were walking and the wind was ripping across, across us. And, and, uh, and I remember we got to this little spot where there's a bridge, okay? And it's, there's this sign that says, the mile high swinging bridge. Doesn't that sound great, right? Sounds like a lot of fun. And so it's this bridge that extends across this ravine that swings in the wind. And the wind was howling. And so the bridge was moving a bit. And you walk across the bridge. And it's so exciting because right in the middle, you're a mile off the ground. And so there you are looking down a full mile. And you're, you're about to walk across the bridge. And, you know, it's, the wind is just blazing. And I remember my, my family was starting to cross the bridge. And I was excited. I said, this will be fun. And I looked over at my son. And I said, hey, you ready to go, buddy? And he was like, I ain't going anywhere, Dad. And he looked up to me. I looked down at him. And he looked up at me with those huge green eyes. And he just went like this. I knew what he was saying. He was saying, hey, I'll go if you carry me, you know. And so I scooped him up and I said, buddy, you don't have to be scared. Daddy's got you. Let's go. And we started walking across. And I'm not kidding. As soon as my foot touched the bridge, in my mind, I saw a passage of scripture. I saw a passage of scripture and it was not just a passage of scripture now, it was the Lord speaking to me. Now for, for a long time now, I had been begging God, fasting, praying, asking for clarity. Are you asking me to start a church, God? I don't know. I'm not sure. My heart seems to say yes, but I just need you to tell me what to do. And here I am reading Deuteronomy. And as I put my foot on that bridge and I'm holding my son, I saw the verse I read that morning. It says this, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, 
and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. And in that moment, I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. He was saying, Justin, I'm going to carry you. This is my plan. You just put your arms up and I'll pick you up. You're not going to die in New England with 35 people. You're going to see what I've put in your heart to see. So trust me. I wonder what questions you're asking God right now. I wonder what direction, guidance you need. Because there's a God who wants to speak to you. He wants to make it clear. Would you stand on your feet? Let's pray together. Spirit of Jesus, I thank you that you are in the room. I thank you that your presence is here. And God, as we come to you this morning, I pray that you would bring a peace and a clarity, a certainty. I pray that you would draw us into closer relationship with you than we've ever had before. I pray that you would open up our eyes to discern your will for our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring us to a place of trust where we can rest and trust, whether we've heard your voice yet or not, we can rest and trust that our Father loves us and that your will will be clear as we seek your face and trust you. I pray that you raise up a mature church that knows how to hear your spirit, that knows how to walk through the filters that enable us to hear you more clearly. I pray that you raise up a church that's not afraid of your leading, but that trusts you to go to the highest heights, Lord, for your glory. Would you come, Holy Spirit? And as we lift up our faith to you, I pray that you make your will clear. Today, let's just take this time to just lift up our faith to God, to just lift up our hearts to God, to lift up that circumstance, that need for guidance. And let's just come to him with a, with a conviction of trust to say, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you in Jesus' name.